Welcome to our next episode of the 5 Moments of Need Performance Matters series. This is Bob Mosier, one of the many co-hosts you'll meet throughout this series. So friends, are you trying to learn more about the 5 Moments of Need? Maybe how to design for them, implement for them, measure them, and even sell them as an approach to your enterprise. Well, in the Performance Matters series, we will help you better understand the theory and best practices behind this powerful methodology and offer proven ways to put the five moments of need into practice. Greetings, Bob Mosher here, as was introduced in the introduction. I will be the host of today's Performance Matters podcast. It is great to have you all here. We sure do hope you are all safe and well. In the middle of these crazy times, we are thinking about all of you throughout. Today's podcast is sort of a conglomeration of a lot of information we've gathered over the last nine months. I have been and we have been honored to be a part of hundreds of conversations with learning and development professionals from across the globe, literally almost every continent on the face of the earth in these crazy times that we've gotten together in Zoom and Connect and WebEx and all these other amazing technologies to talk as an industry about the realities of dealing with not just the pandemic, but what is happening with our learners and what's happening with a shift in content, a shift in a number of things that affect the L&D industry as a whole. So today, I'm going to share about five different ideas that have come across. The first is going to be just generally speaking, some things we've learned overall as we've looked across the landscape of what is L&D and have heard from a number of leaders from across the globe. Secondly, we're going to, we're going to talk about the learner and how they have pivoted and some principles we've learned about them. What about learning about learning? What have we learned about how to develop, design, and deliver this stuff? That has been really profound and impactful throughout the pandemic. And then obviously, what about shifts in roles and responsibilities in the learning field? There have been a couple of things that have emerged, some that have been around for a while, but some new ones that have come out of this absolutely crazy time. And last, we're going to go a bit deeper into the whole virtual learning side of this. How has it changed the way we look at instruction? Clearly, it was the tip of the sword when we entered this back in March. And many organizations have stood up some remarkable solutions in virtual. So we're going to share some best practices and ideas that we've heard from that area as well. Let's start in general terms. So, you know, it's been really remarkable. I, I don't know how old many of you are on this call or how long you've been in the industry, but I remember the days of 2008 when another horrific financial crisis hit our world. Of course, this is a humanitarian crisis with the effect of the pandemic. But when the financial crisis hit back in 2008, to be honest, our phone stopped ringing in L&D. We took this on the chin when finances were thin, when that was the reason for the downfall globally. Unfortunately, and we talked about this before, we were not positioned well as a needed as opposed to uh, wanted resource. And many of us, frankly, were on the wrong side of the ledger paper. We got cut, so to speak. The if I can use this word, exciting side of what we've seen with the pandemic is is really it shows how many organizations see us very differently. I've talked to a number of learning leaders. Um, I'll give one example in particular, who after well over 10 years of being with an organization, being a senior leader there, this gentleman had never spoken personally with a C-suite person in his company ever. He'd heard him speak, of course, and maybe met him informally. But his phone actually rang within days after the pandemic hit and things started to get worse. And it was very telling that when this C-suite member thought to circle the wagons, wanted to get things in order and was looking out into how to survive through this, L&D was top of mind. Friends, that's a remarkable, remarkable opportunity. And here's the two words. As I talked to others about this, the two words that came up almost unanimously were opportunity and acceleration. 
opportunity from the standpoint of here we are now, we have a seat at the table. We are one of the first resources they're going to. And they're not talking about courses. There's a significant shift in the ask from courses to performance. Say that again, from courses to performance, not I want five days of leadership training. We just bought a new CRM. Can you help our people learn it? We're trying to adopt a new sales approach. Can you help us write a course for that? No, it's been much more. We've sent an entire workforce home. How do we help them survive there? We have managers that have never managed remotely. How do we help them do that well? We have a whole bunch of information to disseminate very differently than we used to before. How do we get this stuff out to them so that they not only hear it, but they know how to access and use it to perform better? Guys, these are very different asks than we've been asked before, and it opens up a whole other opportunity for one, a different conversation, and secondly, a different deliverable, which we'll talk about in a bit, typically been able to offer before, and it clearly has not just pivoted on training. Acceleration. As a dear friend of mine said recently, he found a bureaucratic vacuum when it came to technology. What he meant by that is there's been there's this void, friends, of walls and barriers and organizations, frankly, IT being one of them, that we had to wait on, walk through, get the buy-in from to get technologies into our ecosystem. Well, look what happened with virtual. Many of us were asked to stand that up in days, if not weeks. No bureaucracy, get it through procurement, Get it through whatever organization in IT we have to so that this thing can work. This is an amazing time for technology and learning. And so your opportunity to get EPSSs in there, LXPs in there, content management systems in there that you've been trying to get through before, people are very receptive. But, but you have to pivot on serving a need. You have to pivot on associating that buy and that spend, not with just having one of those platforms, but what, back to number one, opportunity, what performance issues are you going to solve? How is that tool going to accelerate those asks you heard me talk about a moment ago that are coming down the pike? And if you can associate A to B, your probability is higher than ever of getting that kind of buy-in. On the darker side... Another general thing we found is that this has exposing some cracks in the dam of our current offerings. Training in particular, we're learning, is not enough. A lot of people are wondering and looking outside of our offerings for ways to serve and help themselves. We'll talk about the learners in a minute. They're being remarkably innovative. And so in other places where a trainer could carry the day, a beautiful training facility made people feel comfortable and welcome. Now, friends, I'm not diminishing the importance of either of those. But what I am saying is, and I love this word, learners' needs are very raw right now. They are feeling very desperate right now, and that breeds receptivity, but it also breeds a level of scrutiny about what we give them like we may never have seen before. The door is open, opportunity, but at the same time, we are exposed on a enterprise-wide level with the effectiveness of how we engage, what we build, and how effective those offerings are than ever before. A remarkable time to shine and come out of this in a completely different place than before, but at the same time, we have to be careful about just offering the same old thing for what is a very different world. And lastly, clearly, there's been financial and budget implications. But the interesting thing, again, unlike 2008, is it's not so much just an across-the-board cut or an across-the-board let-go or furlough, as we're using that word a lot today, 
it's very discretionary and organizations are being careful. So the degree to which L&D can be positioned as being vital to the organization and stepping up proactively about helping organizations meet the day, be productive, support their workforce remotely and other things, the more valuable you'll be seen. Now, let's get a little bit deeper into some specifics. Learners, let's start with the most important people in the world, of course, right? Those who we serve. How have learners been pivoting? I'm going to talk about four different things that have been talked about quite a bit. I love this one, the first one. And again, these are many from people that I've heard across the, the world as we've spoken to them. One of my favorite quotes was, from survive to thrive. When this first hit back in March, April, May, we were clearly back on our heels. We were in a very much survival mode. But I hate the word new normal, to be honest, but we are in a form of normal now and people strive for normalcy, even in erratic and crazy times. And so many learners have gone from this survival mode and what am I going to do and almost a helplessness way of looking at things to one of, darn it, I'm going to pick myself up by the bootstraps. I'm going to get my job done. I'm going to remain vibrant. I'm going to be a critical part of the organization. I'm going to be heard and proven improve my worth even though I'm at home and they have stepped up in some remarkable ways. This has caused number two, which is that many have become more independent in their ability to support themselves. And guess what? They're also looking in new places for resources. We have a much more aggressive friends and impatient learner than ever before. You know, it's interesting back in the days when e-learning first hit, we called it just in time. We called it on demand. I think many would argue it may not have been. It might have been easily available, but I don't know if learners would call it on-demand. Well, friends, we live in an on-demand world now like never in my lifetime. And so when you get up every morning and you have demands, performance, information demands that hit you right in the face, you become aggressive, you become independent about finding those solutions. So friends, again, the opportunity for us is, are we what they're finding? Have you done some analysis on the resources that they're using? And not just the use of yours, but have you done some open analysis of what resources get you through the day? And if you give them the list of your LMS or your e-learnings or your virtual instruction or your coaching and mentoring programs, well, sure, those are going to come to the top and be part of the answer. But are we asking a broad enough question? We'll be surprised and you'll be surprised when you find out the amazing resources learners have either made themselves that need brokering and aggregation and the information they're finding outside of the normal means. We can be on the forefront as we emerge from this, friends, in aggregating, curating that information in powerful ways like it's never done before. Many of them don't like our initial approaches to virtual instruction. Now, I'm, I'm going to give a mixed bag review on this and I get it. A lot of them were remarkably thankful that we came up with virtual so quickly. Uh, we stood up these systems in, in record times. But candidly, the honeymoon's over. The wave has crashed on the beach. And there is some disillusionment, some fatigue with virtual instructor-led. So I think we'll talk about virtual instructor-led in a lot bit at the end of this. But in many ways, the learner is looking for us to innovate and reinvent virtual instruction. And guess what? That will have, we'll talk about it at the end, profound impact on the classrooms we return to. And lastly, I don't know about you, friends, but we're hearing that more and more are just emotionally shot. This is difficult on every one of us. And I don't know if in my 38 years of being in the business, I've ever heard of lines of business asking for empathy content. 
empathy content, emotional intelligence content. Now, sure, they, we, there's soft skills and leadership and listening skills and, and how to get along and how to handle a difficult situation. Guys, those topics have been around forever, but the words being used today are emotional words. And so I think we have to be cognizant to the pressure, the emotion, the stress, both at work and at home that our learners are under. If anyone can do it in our enterprises, we are the most empathetic group I know in recognizing that and helping organizations work through it. Next, how is the learning organizations pivoted? You know, what's going on with what are we learning about learning? Well, there's some interesting things about design and other things. First of all, obviously the shift to virtual and digital is happening at a profound rate. I don't think any of us heard of Zoom (laughs) before the pandemic hit. And so now it's become Kleenex in many industries, right? I'm going to go to a Zoom meeting, even though, even though, frankly, into their defense, I might be using WebEx. It becomes a verb or an adjective. Well, the shift to virtual and digital has been unbelievable. So our ecosystems are growing at a remarkable rate. EPSSs, electronic performance support systems, friends, are rising up and meeting the day. This is your time to get these into budgets. This is your time to bring them up again. But again, remember, in the context of solving a performance problem. Learning experience platforms, LXPs, finally finding their footing. People are understanding how they may or may not want to use them in the context of other tools. And guess what? Content management systems, learning content management systems, CMSs, LCMSs, are coming back into the radar a lot because of the point I talked about earlier that the aggressive learners are wanting to aggregate content. See, I think we ran up to content management pretty hard a while back, but I think we ran it for the sense of monitoring, engaging our content or monitoring, engaging the organization's content. Friends, we're talking now about the learner's content and they are creating it in record amounts. So disseminating it, grading it, vetting it, keeping it current, making sure the right role, the right person, the right circumstance gets the right information. We've talked about this right time, right thing forever. Well, now we're at a point with systems like these that we are getting time to map them to measurable results. VILT, Virtual Instructor-Led Training, really a lot of use with EPSSs and filling in the time. We're going to talk about space learning a little bit when we get to virtual at the end of this, but I'll just give it a little bit of a flag raise here. But we're learning that you can't sit people in front of these machines for an hour and a half, two hours, three hours at a time. You've got to break it up. So we'll talk more about the learnings there, but specifically under this topic of tools, EPSSs and content management systems, LXPs are really winning the day as the tool to be used to allow learning to be done over time, also in the context of application. We're learning to measure more outcomes than content. I love this one. As I said earlier, friends, we're filling performance gaps now and needs that are driving the conversation, not content. I've been waiting for this for 25 years. I don't want someone to walk in my office again and say, I want five days of anything. I want them to walk in my office and say, look, we've got the following business problem to solve. Can you in learning map what you do to that performance need? And so measurability, friends, our ability to measure our outcome because we're shifting away from butts and seats, content consumed, ability to pass tests, to a world of can people perform quicker, faster, remain current, and keep afloat in a very stressful time where measures come in daily based on finances and performance and profitability than they ever have done before. So this is a time to stay in front of that. 
and you probably guessed this was coming, all of this adds up to workflow learning is coming on strong. I've never seen the demand greater than now. People are living in their houses in the workflow like never before. And this is a big one, friends. Their workflow has been disrupted like never before. They don't go into an office. They don't even have the commute to listen to podcasts. They don't meet each other at lunch anymore. They don't go to five different rooms six times a day to meet for an hour at a time. They don't see each other over the cubicle. What we're understanding is all of a sudden, this infrastructure, this ecosystem of support and knowledge, knowledge sharing, coaching, mentoring was ripped out from under people. And so people are having to learn in the workflow like never before. And we all know that the times are a change in at a rate like never before. So the issue of currency when you have a remote distributed workforce is not met by any other better means than some of the remarkable workflow learning efforts we've seen. If you want to listen to two great podcasts around this, Mark Wagner's on the Hartford and Chris King and his recent one about standing up a call center are two remarkable examples and both say it in there that without workflow learning, without an EPSS, without this performance first mindset, they may not have been able to have succeeded and probably wouldn't have succeeded in the remarkable outcomes that they got. Next, how is the learning organization itself specifically pivoting? Well, I'm going to talk about two specific large roles, trainers and IDs, and then name a couple that are been around, but are kind of emerging due to the circumstances. Trainers, not a lot of classrooms going on, but a lot of VILT. So many clearly have made a shift to that. At the same time, because of this need for workflow learning and instruction, for the need for people to be mentored on a more one-on-one basis, for the fact that most VALT classes can't run more than an hour and a half to two at a time and therefore have time in between, trainers are moving more into mentor and coaches roles than I've ever seen before. They're in the business like I've never seen before. They're not just in the wing of the building, in the nine class stand-up rooms that we do for our ILT, They are being more and more involved in VILT, seeing students face-to-face every day in their homes, not in some room located somewhere else in the world or somewhere else in the building, and seen as something separate from that. When you hang up from these college friends, you're sitting at your desk. Our learners are sitting at their desk, and they immediately flip into performance. So trainers and coaches are right there on the front lines able to help. What about instructional designers? Well, with the shift to workflow learning... And the shift to performance first, not content, the shift to being performance consultants is becoming more significant. I've heard the word performance consultants, performance architects used a lot more than ever. In fact, more than ever. We still do instructional design, but the pivot again is not on the design of content. It's more on consulting around performance needs, understanding business impact, and aligning any kind of resource, including a training or learning one, that meets that need. So the architect I love, the consultant word I love, because it truly is that heavy analysis, high personalization, and tailoring that goes on with this kind of design. A couple of new ones, and then we'll wrap up. Data scientists. How's that, friends? I heard that one the other day. We're getting inundated with more data than ever of what our learners are doing because of the amount of systems that they're on every day. So to what degree can we chop up that data, do analysis on that data to understand performance needs, things that are going well, performance gaps, information gaps, keeping things current, 
What's the impact on the business? This is all another new wave around data analysis and data scientists that we've never seen before. User experience design, UX designers. Seeing more and more of these because of the nature in which we have to design things again into the workflow. It has to be contextual. It needs to be intrinsic, not extrinsic to the environment. So how do you build a user design, a user experience that's not just about one thing or even about one modality, blending a user experience, not just across a deliverable, but across multiple deliverables? What's the user experience design across the workflow? and using the multiple tools and resources at their disposal. How do we design that workflow experience to make it optimal? And lastly, this one's been waiting for a bump for the longest time, but AI, artificial intelligence, is coming on very strong. Tons of chatbots being made out there, which is a foray, I think, into this world, machine learning. It's still early, but I think, remember back to opportunity and acceleration? If there's an area besides virtual and maybe digital, that will and has been accelerated from the pandemic, it absolutely will be our work and being pushed into more artificial intelligence or AI design. So speaking of design and technology, the last thing I'd like to talk about today, friends, is a little bit more that we're learning about virtual and virtual instruction, specifically around things around engagement, authenticity. How do you make these things better? Four or five points and then we'll wrap. We are really learning that chat and a whiteboard and a poll and a breakout room are not just features and tools of virtual instruction. They are our engagement in virtual instruction. We're learning that different tools do different things. A chat, for instance, takes a lot of courage because if nothing else, my name is on the screen. A whiteboard, not so much. I can annotate or write in a whiteboard You have no idea who's doing what unless you turn on a tool that also gives my name. But see where I'm going with this, friends. We're learning that like good questioning, like good classroom management skills that we learned in ILT and stand-up, the same things are happening in the virtual world. The tools we are given from chat to other things are not just things to use randomly or to use because we just want to mix it up. We are learning that there are different levels of courage, different levels of intimacy, different levels of complexity, different levels of abstractness that come with using different kinds of tools in a virtual setting. We're also learning that engagement has to be often. (laughs) Next thing you know, an instructor looks up and they've been talking for 25 minutes and haven't changed the PowerPoint. We've got to do more intentional, and here comes a word, scripted engagement than we've ever done before. I've heard recently a number being brought up around every five minutes, every three to five minutes, having an intentional, notice the word, intentional level of engagement with any of the tools I mentioned a moment ago to make sure we keep our learners engaged and silence. Silence is golden. We don't have to talk all the time. Believe it or not, friends, workbooks, printed workbooks are making a comeback because they can be two things. One, the tie that binds across different sessions when you break them up. The workbook is the consistent factor across all of those. And secondly, it lets you look away from the screen. It lets you take five minutes of silence to process. So we're seeing them being brought back into the process in activities, in practices, where basically the instructor stops talking, may play music, we've seen this done before, or just stops talking, puts a counter or a clock on the screen, 
and gives the learners time to work on their own. And we're seeing some remarkable results because of that. Video. You know, it's funny, but I, you know, for the longest time, people call distance learning distancing because we don't bring them into this intimate classroom where we see each other's faces, where we sit together, where we go to lunch together. I think a lot of people are, are discovering that virtual instruction has a high level of intimacy with it too because, friends, when you sat in a classroom, the only face you saw typically was the instructor looking back at you. You didn't see 26, 25 or more other faces staring at you at the same time with their cameras on. You didn't see their bedrooms, their dining rooms, their kitchens, their families, their dogs, their kids. This is all happening. So there is an exhaustion that's coming with the use of video. And there's also a degree of intimacy, intimidation. I don't mean that in the mean way, but it's intimidating. So turning video on, turning video off, making it fun and helping build a team. For instance, I've seen people using different backgrounds for themes of the day, how they're feeling. You know, these types of things is really changing the face of how video is used in these experiences. Be careful just turning it on. Be careful always leaving it off. Video has its place like any other engagement and interaction tool. Here's my favorite thing with virtual instruction that I hope will impact learning as a whole, both when we come back to classrooms and don't. Probably one of the more studied areas in our business is something called spaced learning, which is with repetition and practice and time to apply. Friends, virtual instruction, since it can't be six hours, eight hours, three days of online stuff, it builds time back into learning. Use that time for practice. And I don't mean just practice of things that are made up. I mean practice of things where they actually apply things to work. We've talked about chunking forever in our business. We've all said that the classroom is overloaded. Six and a half hours of sitting in a room is a lot. It's probably cognitive overload. Well, guess what? VILT gives us a natural break. You teach only what's important. We'll talk about that in a minute. And then you stop. You give them work to do, real work to do in the workflow, in the job. Use your EPSS. Give them tools to support their learning and extend it and help them apply it. Come back, grade, evaluate, give feedback, and do your next session. I would have killed for this in a classroom, and I've seen remarkable work done through virtual instruction using these kinds of approaches. And last, my second favorite thing about virtual that we're learning, don't teach everything. I'll say it again. You'd no longer, nor should you ever have taught everything. You've heard us talk about critical skills analysis in past podcasts. But friends, they can learn things while doing. Workflow learning enables that. So let's use the precious time of virtual instruction for things that are most critical, that need engagement, that need dialogue, that need a subject matter expert or instructor to walk people through. But here's the great news. It is not a majority of the content you have always been tasked to teach. In fact, it may be a fraction of that. With virtual instruction, we're allowed to build in time. We're allowed to let students experiment, expand their knowledge, learn things, here we go, on their own, and then come back and evaluate how they're doing, give them feedback, and move on. It is a remarkable accelerator. There's that word again, virtual instruction with workflow learning, with an EPSS, with the tools we talked about can be a remarkable accelerator of instruction that here you go, I may get hate mail about this, but the classroom could never 
begin to match or stand up to. Friends, we hope this has been helpful as always. Please keep in touch. Let's keep these ideas going back and forth. We'll be back for another Performance Matters podcast down the road. Please be well, be safe. Talk soon. Well, that's it for this episode of the Five Moments of Need Performance Matters series. We look forward to future conversations around how to best put the five moments of need into practice. We welcome your feedback and can be reached on Twitter using my Twitter handle at BMOSH, as well as our Five Moments of Need website, which is www.the5momentsofneed.com. We hope you're finding these helpful and will subscribe to future episodes. Have a great day, friends.